So tonight uh, we continue on looking at the life of David, and we do that tonight by looking at the 27th chapter. We'll read the entirety of this 27th chapter, but we're also going to go a little ways into chapter 28, reading the first two verses there. I'd ask if you would listen to the word as I read the word, follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me, and then after I have completed the reading, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over. He and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man and his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against Geshurites and Gerzites, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Gerhamelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell us and say, so David is done. Such was his custom all while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he will always be my servant. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you tonight, as we uh, endeavor to understand rightly your word found in this section of the scripture, we do in fact add that your spirit would guide us. We read a text like this and we see it filled with various things that are happening, but we don't see you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand 
where you are in this text, understand what we are meant to learn from this. And we pray, Lord, that that would be for our good and for your glory. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a a lot that we might uh, find unusual as we read this section of 1 Samuel in light of the fact that we have been following and exploring the life of David for so many preceding chapters. For one thing, the way the chapter begins might seem odd to us because David speaks in his heart about going to the land of the Philistines because of the fear he had that he would die at the hand of King Saul. Saul, if you remember, had just called out to David as recorded at the end of the previous chapter, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and succeed. And just before saying that, David had heard Saul also saying, I have sinned, Saul has sinned. David, my son, return David, my son, for I will no more do harm to you because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. In other words, Saul has spoken these words proclaiming a final truce between himself and David. He was proclaiming that David was no longer under any threat from him. But David's words now seem as if he has heard nothing from Saul of any such sort. He fears his life. He fears his life will be taken by Saul. And so he's ready to flee. Now maybe our surprise at David's fleeing starts to fade when we remember Saul's past history. Time and time again, Saul has come after David to take David's life. And Saul had done that most recently, even after making similar promises of a similar truce before. I suspect our thoughts of there being something unusual to David's fear as the chapter begins might diminish, at least in some regard, when we remember the larger story. But that still doesn't remove every unusual quality to this chapter. Our next hurdle involves where it is that David decides to go. David is intent, you see, on going to the Philistines who have been his enemies. And he goes once again to a Philistine leader, Achish, a king of the city of Gath. You do remember Gath, don't you? The home of Goliath, whom David had slain. And you do remember David's prior encounter with this very king at Gath, don't you? Achish's servants at that prior time recognized David when he visited. And they reminded Achish of the lyrics sung about David, how it was sung about David that while Saul had struck down his thousands, David had struck down his ten thousands. Those who were struck down were Philistines. David was found out by Achish at that prior time. And it made it so that David's life was clearly endangered while with the Philistines. And David only escaped from Achish and the Philistines that prior time, as we learn from chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, by acting like a crazy man. He made marks of some sort on doors and gates. He drooled upon himself. And his, quali- his, his ruse was really a, a fairly good ruse because as a result, King Achish said, Do I lack madmen that I have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? And David then was allowed to leave uh, the Philistines unharmed. 
So now we have this unusual situation in chapter 27 because in this place and in this time, David has decided now to go back to that. But I still think that there is even one more, maybe more unusual characteristic of what we have read tonight. The unusual situation that in what we have read, there is absolutely no mention of God. Here is David, the anointed one, anointed by God's prophet Samuel to be king of Israel. Here is David, a man who has been blessed to sense the providential hand of God throughout his life and who has frequently made reference to his God. This is David, a man after God's own heart. And yet everything David does and says in this chapter is devoid of God. And I sort of think that knowing that is directing us to see what we should be learning from these events. David is not really presented in this chapter in a very good light. And I say that even though the author of the text at this point doesn't really comment on David's words or actions as being either good or bad. The history of these events surrounding this time when David was among the Philistines is really only instead merely recorded historically, laid out as events that have happened. There was an old television show, Dragnet, a show that for the most part predated my own life. And the main character of that show was a police detective. He would commonly say to witnesses as he was questioning them, as they started to wonder about in their stories, that all he wanted was the facts. He wanted no commentary, just the facts. And that's what seems to be found here in the way the author of 1 Samuel writes about what's happening with David. All we are getting are the facts. Verses 1 through 4 tell us of David's fear of Saul and of his human desire to go to Gath. We've already seen that. The facts about his relocation are just plainly given. Even though we might want to know more, to know more excuse me, this is all we're told. There are all no words about whether David had turned in prayer to God beforehand. There is no mention about why he wouldn't just stand firm in the promised land, especially having experienced already how God had been protecting him there. There's no elaboration here as to why at this time he was allowed to live with the Philistines and Achish unbothered. Only the facts are given that he did live life that way. Maybe we would speculate. Maybe the fact that 600 fighting men were with him was part of what allowed for that to happen. But again, we can only really speculate because the facts of his being there are all we are given and nothing really more. In a similar, cold, historic way of laying things out, we're next told in verses 5 through 7 of how David next acquires a city for himself, Ziklag. It's a city given to him by King Achish. Why David wants the city and why Achish gives it is not clearly laid out. David just asks why the two men should live in the same royal city. Achish agrees with David's words. David is given the city. And he goes there. He stays among the Philistines then for one year and four months. Just the facts. The next plain facts all relate to what David does during the time he is in that city of Ziklag. 
Ziklag becomes a staging platform from the raids that David makes. He attacks Gezerites and Gerzites and the Amalekites. And on those raids, he would leave no witnesses to the raids alive. He would kill all the men, all the women. He plundered all the people's livestock and all their garments. And then he would go back to King Achish with the plunder and with lies. Instead of reporting the raids he did make, David reported instead raids that he did not make, saying instead that on these raids he was attacking his own Israelite people, the people living in the Negev wilderness to the south of Judah. Now we are given a little more insight here into his reasoning for leaving no survivors in these raids. He was ruthless in order to hide his true actions from Achish the king. He said he was lying to Achish about what he had done. As I said, rather, he was lying to Achish about what he had done and leaving no witnesses so that as to protect his lie. And that, again, enabled David to gain Achish, Achish's trust so that Achish would think that David was no enemy of his any longer, but instead was an enemy of his own people, Israel. Achish becomes convinced that David would now forever be his servant. Those are the facts of verses 8 through 12. The last verses we read in this section are the two first verses of chapter 28. And they serve to present David with a new dilemma, an unresolved dilemma, which will leave us as readers without any immediate sense of any resolution. Achish becomes intent, you see, on making war against Israel. And he is certain that David will now be his ally. He commissions David and his fighting men to fight with him. And David assents. And then this part of the story closes with Achish saying to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Those are all the facts. But I do think when we read these facts, we are meant to learn from them. When we read of this fear David has of Saul at the very beginning and of his willingness to flee to Gath and to Achish, with, our, with these words that we are given uh, about David without any reference to God, we're still meant to learn from them. When we read of such things in a passage like this, a passage that is devoid of references to God, I think we are meant to learn about the way we are to live our lives by witnessing from what all appearances would be a negative example of a way to live a life. The negative example here of the life lived out by David. Again, I remind you, David has often been made keenly aware already of the consistent and protecting hand of God. He has seen the providential protection that has come to him via the likes of Jonathan and Abigail, his wife. He's reflected previously upon the knowledge he had that he need never raise his hand against Saul because Saul would deal, God would deal with Saul as God would deal with Saul. You might recall how in the, the chapter just prior to this, David had said that the Lord would strike Saul or that Saul's day would come to die or that Saul would go into battle and perish. In saying those things, David recognized that God would strike Saul dead out of the blue. He could do that. Or Saul could uh, come to his death from old age, or he would go down in battle. But no matter how Saul's end would come, 
God would deal with Saul in God's timing. And in light of all that, all God required of David in the interim was to do the right thing, to leave vengeance to the Lord. But things are somewhat different now with David. And I think it's significant the way this part of David's story begins with David saying what he said about his fear of Saul as something David spoke into his own heart. In a sense, David's historic place in redemptive history, or rather in spite of David's place in historic redemptive history, what is happening here is that David is revealing himself as a, as a man who shares with all humanity a common human frailty. He, like all of us, all of us tend to do, sees his present circumstance, the circumstances of his life, and he starts looking for solutions on his own, inwardly speaking into his own heart. And often, as human beings, we tend to do that apart from God. That's what we see David doing here. And the more pressing our situations seem to be, the more prone we are to talk ourselves into a human approach to solve all our problems. We seek solutions without regard to what God might will. It's not that we aren't to use our reasoning and our intellect to deal with our own human dilemmas. We should. But we also need to be speaking into our hearts God's truth found in God's word and seeking his guidance in word and through prayer. We, like David, do best when we exercise care when speaking to our own hearts so that we don't speak to the heart words devoid of our knowledge of the power and the mercy of God. And then notice in this chapter, notice as well how it seems as if after David lays out his godless plan, that his plans actually seem to work quite well. This journey to Gath is this time so unlike his prior visit. This time Saul does stop pursuing him as we see in verse 4. David even gets his own city. We see that in verse 6. David begins attacking the real enemies of Israel and is succeeding in his attacks. Again, there is no reference to the Lord at all in this part of David's life. But his human scheme seems to be working superbly nonetheless. Even his deception of Achish has worked out. Achish is convinced that David is working against David's own people when he is instead working to destroy Israel's enemies. But the dramatic tension that is found in this godless part of David's story, the part that is found at the very end of our reading once one enters into chapter 28, finds that David's deception of Achish has worked far too well. So well that Achish now enlists David to fight against the Israelites. And that dramatic tension will remain with the story for a while longer because the rest of chapter 28 goes away from this account to start speaking about some events with Saul before resuming from where we have left off in our reading tonight. And so I have to tell you, I'm going to leave you as well with some tension for a bit of longer. I suppose you could read ahead. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. But where we stop tonight is wondering what will happen next. Will David continue speaking to his own heart without regard to God? 
Will David's godless plans seem to find continued success? Will God again intervene and make himself known to David? We'll just tune in on a future date. But there is still one more matter I want to address in what we've read tonight before we really end for the evening. If this chapter were all that we were ever to read about David, I'm sure we would all conclude that David is not a very admirable character. Where recent chapters have started reflecting good things about David, we see none of that here. He acts without God. He's driven in part by fear. He allies himself with an enemy of his own people, an enemy of God, even though he deceives that ally. Maybe that defeat itself is bothersome. But of course, these are dealings between enemies. But still, David is being revealed as a man of lies. And it certainly isn't very appealing to know this man we might wish to be seen as the hero is butchering men and women to keep his deception of Achish from being discovered. But I think we are seeing David for a time as a man without God to magnify for us all the great nature of God's grace. God uses sinful creatures to fulfill his purposes. And if he did not use sinful men and women, he would use none of us. The more we want to see mere men or women as heroic figures, the less we will live with the right fear of God and the more blind we will be to God's grace, a grace which condescends to we who are truly no heroes but fallen creatures. Hopefully, hopefully seeing a godless David for this short time and what evil still remains in him, in an otherwise heroic sort of figure, often heroic, helps us to appreciate all the more the grace of God which condescends to save sinners like ourselves. Let's pray.